Peace be with you, church. And I would like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. This evening we are in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all the all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of the, our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us again this privilege to worship you together as your people. And Lord, we want to worship you. Our hearts want to sing praise to you. So Father, help us do that. And Lord, as we open up your word, reveal it to us. Show us Jesus and the greatness of his accomplished work on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As David said, there's a blizzard out there. Um, the waves in the ocean somehow resemble uh, maybe the last few years that we have experienced. Um, and with this new variant that's coming, Omicron or whatever it's called. Um, I just want to, again, remind you guys of 
um, certain rules that the government has made for places like ours, for public places. The good news is we no longer have to social distance if you choose not to do so. Get to sit as close as possible to your neighbors if you want. Uh, but there is still a rule in effect that we are to wear masks indoors. Um, and so I just got to make that known to you. Uh, we're not going to force you. Um, but yeah, just, just, just want to let you guys know. In the first three chapters of the gospel, Luke is telling us two stories. And um, these stories are really intertwined together, and they are very connected together. The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and the announcement of this miraculous birth of their son, son John, and the story about the Virgin Mary and her miraculous conception and the birth of Jesus. And Luke keeps going back between these two storylines and us with him. Every week we go between Mary and Jesus and Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. And last week we looked at Mary's song. It is known as Mary's Magnificat. It is her praise. It is her worship of God for what he is doing. And today, we have another song. Must be Christmas season, must be singing season. Um, Today, we look at John's birth and the outburst of praise that overcomes Zechariah. And so, as we read the story, we see that the time has come and Elizabeth gives birth to John. We see here that all of the family, all of the relatives, the whole neighborhood is gathered to celebrate and to share in the joy of this miraculous birth. It's an exciting time for all of the family. And it would be. I mean, they're experiencing something extraordinary. It is something miraculous. Their old relative, someone who is advanced in years, gave birth to a child. So everybody wants to come and experience this miracle. And so we read as per Jewish tradition, the child was circumcised on the eighth day, and it was time to give him a name. And apparently at that time, there was this custom uh, to give your oldest son um, a name after the father or um, a name of someone in the family. And so just like every happy family, just like every family gathering, there has to be drama. And so there's drama here. The family tries to name this baby, Zachariah, and Elizabeth tells him, no, he won't be Zachariah. His name will be John. And they're telling her, what are you talking about? There's no one in your family whose name is John. You can't do that. Don't be crazy, Elizabeth. How dare you introduce a new, family, a new name into the family? We can only have Zacharias. And so they come to John and ask him, I mean, they come to Zechariah and they ask him, and Zechariah asks for a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. Notice he didn't say his name shall be John, will be John. He says, his name is 
John. He's already been named. He's been named nine months ago by the angel, by God himself. And giving a name to your child was a big deal back then. Um, it, was, it would, in a sense, set them up for the future. It would prophesy often the future that is, is ahead of them. Um, often, it, it was also a big deal because the child would continue the legacy of the family. He would pass on the family name. And so this was a hard decision for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And yet we see that they choose to submit to God, to God's will for the child to be called John. They set their priorities aside. They set their dreams, their expectations, the expectations of the family aside, and they submit to the plan that God has for this child. We as parents, we have this responsibility of naming our kids. It's our God-given responsibility. But in some occasions, we see in scriptures that God steps in and gives a name to a child. And every time he does that, it's a sign that the child will be the Lord's. It's a sign that the child will serve God. And so here we see that both Zechariah and Elizabeth, they submit to God their desires for the kid and they name him John. At this point, uh, Zechariah is mute for about nine months already. Um, this is day eight, at least, since John is born. And I'm sure he is wondering, he's wondering, when am I going to talk again? The angel said, I'm going to talk, but when will it be? All that the angel said is, until these things take place. And so Zechariah is probably wondering what things. Am I not going to talk until he, give, he, he is born? Am I not going to talk until his ministry is, is up and running? But we see here that as soon as Zechariah wrote down, his name is John. As soon as he submits to the will of God, we read that immediately his mouth is open, his tongue is loosened, and he begins to speak. And just imagine the reaction of the people there. And we have the reaction of the people. Luke says the family, the community, seeing all that is happening, they were in fear. They were awestruck. They were wondering what is going on. First, they see that this woman who is advanced in years, she is pregnant and she gives birth. They see that Zachariah somehow can't talk. Maybe you can explain that. Maybe it's some sort of, a, I don't know, something that comes with age. But now they can't explain this. The man who could not talk, God hits the unmute button and he begins to talk. And then this unusual name. They were in fear. They were full of, full of wonder, full of amazement. And we see here that word spread out through the entire hill country. And we read in verse 66, as they wondered, they asked this question, 
what then will this child be? All of these things that are happening, all of these events surrounding John's birth are so extraordinary. This must not just be some ordinary baby. End of verse 66, we see that it is written that they saw that the hand of God was over this whole thing. And everybody asked, what then will this child be? And so in verse 68 through 79, in this song of praise, we find the answer to this question. What is God doing? What then will this child be? And we read that as soon as Zechariah is able to speak, the first thing that he does, he blesses the Lord. He praises God. Everything the angel has said has happened this far. Luke tells us in verse, 50, in verse 67, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy. Verse 68 through 79, it is a prophecy. These are words given to Zechariah by the Holy Spirit to, to, to say. And we can split this song into two parts. The first part, Zechariah is worshiping and praising God, similar to Mary. He's praising God for visiting his people finally. He's praising God for redeeming and delivering his people, for raising someone to save them. He's praising God for fulfilling his promises and for showing mercy. And in the second part of the song, we get the answer to the question, what then will this child be? Who will John be and what will he do? Verse 76 we read, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So first off, we see that John will be a prophet. In fact, um, God named him. It means that he is God's. God chose him for a special task. And we see here that the task is for him to be a prophet. He will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Later, Jesus, looking back at the ministry of John, he calls them the greatest prophet of all time. He calls them the goat, as we say these days. Greatest of all time. John, John, out of all the prophets, John gets that title. And John's prophetic ministry will be to declare what is to come. He will declare the coming of the Messiah. He will declare the future. But not only will he prophesy, and not only will he declare the future, but John will also declare what is happening right now in this time. John will have awareness. He will have insight into the present. He will have an understanding and clarity of the times. He will declare to the world its current condition. This is very important. The world, the people, 
They're not ready to receive Jesus as they are. They're not ready for Jesus to come and start his ministry. There is work that needs to be done before Christ comes. And John is the one who will be the forerunner to do that work. He will declare, he will make aware the world of its current condition. And he will also declare the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And so we know that John will be a prophet Now the question is, how will John prepare the way for Jesus? Verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these three verses, verse 77, 78, and 79. And if the light goes out, ironically, we'll be worshiping in darkness. (laughs) And so here's the picture. Here's the picture that is being painted here by this prophecy. Remember, this is, this is the Holy Spirit filled, who, who filled Zechariah and, and who is speaking through him. Here, God gives a diagn- di- the condition, the diagnostic, the assessment of where humanity is. And here's the picture. Here's the description of the world. Verse 79, we see humanity is sitting in darkness. And then he uses this terrifying picture. Humanity sitting in darkness, humanity is in the shadow of death. Imagine you're walking, it is dark, it is pitch black, and it is dark only because behind you is death creeping on you, casting its shadow. On you. This is the imagery that we are given here. Or imagine death like a massive monster. Pick your favorite one from any movie. Um, Godzilla, King Kong, Mind Flayer. A monster of your choice overshadowing a city. There's no escape. All will die. This is the imagery that we are given. That's death. It's like one of these monsters. And it's not just over one city. This is the entire world condemned to death, living in darkness under the shadow of death. Nations, communities, families, individuals. This is true of the Jews. Even though they are pious and religious, this is true of the world. The entire humanity living in the shadow of death. Of death. And here's Zechariah. He is echoing the words in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, 
Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so before the coming of Jesus, before the light of Jesus, Galilee, basically all of Israel, and all of the nations beyond were defined by gloom, by darkness, deep darkness, living in the shadow of death. And here's the problem. The problem is that the darkness is so dark and deceptive that most people are not even aware of it. And so this is where John's ministry comes in. John is the guy that gets to go and tell everyone of what's going on. He's the one that gets to say, hey, it is dark, it is gloomy, we are living in the shadow of death. John is there to make the world aware of it. John is, the, John is a prophet in a sense that he sees the world as it is. He sees it in its reality. He sees what is really happening. He sees its actual condition. And he has the job to declare it to others. This is, of course, spiritual darkness. This is spiritual gloom. This darkness, it is Satan's dark dominion on earth. It is sin's dominion over every heart of man. The darkness of mind, the darkness of the heart, our motivations, desires, actions. This darkness is the rebellious state of humanity against God. It is our rebellion against one another. And we see here that the end result is hopelessness and death. This is overall, this is a picture of hopelessness and death. This is who we are without Christ. And John's job is to make us aware of this darkness. Darkness in the world, darkness in our communities, and most importantly, sin and darkness in humanity itself. Ultimately, we see that John's job description is to show people that they need a savior. And then he is to declare the great and exciting news, the best news of all, that the savior is coming. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way and give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sin. John's ministry is necessary because people who are not aware of darkness, they don't need a savior. People who are not aware of their sin, they do not need forgiveness of that sin. If you are not aware of the consequences of sin, 
remember that shadow of death. If you're not aware, then you don't need a savior. And this is John's job. It's to expose the desperate need for a savior and to call people to repent, to acknowledge, to confess their sin. But John himself, he's not the savior. He himself, he cannot save these people from sin. The savior is the coming Jesus. In the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of gloom and darkness, John is the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way because hope is coming. Grace is coming. Forgiveness is coming. And I am here to make you aware of it, that you need it. I am here to make you aware that you are living in the shadow of death. And so John will go to prepare the way for Jesus. And then, John, and, and then Zechariah here describes the coming of Jesus. He gives us two images. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give the light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. We are given two images here. And so the first image is Jesus is coming like a light of a sunrise. Jesus is like a sunrise. And the second imagery we have here is Jesus is coming to be a guide for our feet. And so let's look at the sunrise imagery. We all have uh, those long, long nights. Maybe you're tossing and turning. You cannot sleep. Um, maybe it's a nightmare. I don't know. Uh, this morning, my son, Ezekiel, he comes into our room. And I was, like, trying to wake up. And he comes in all upset. And he's like, Dad, I had a nightmare. And I'm like, what kind of nightmare, Ezekiel? And he says, I was climbing up a very tall cliff, and I got stuck in the middle. I couldn't go up. I couldn't go down. And so I started falling. It's one of those endless falling dreams that we've probably all had. And so this is what's happening to the world. This dark darkness, this nightmare, the worst night that you can possibly imagine, it began with the fall. When sin entered, when death entered into the world, the long night has started. Nobody even remembers how the sun looks. No one even remembers when they saw their last sunrise. In fact, spiritually speaking, no one ever saw the sun. All they knew is darkness and nightmares, this horrid, terrifying darkness. And the prophecy is saying here that the coming of Jesus is like the coming of a sunrise. It's the most welcoming thing after a horrible night. 
first you see some orange on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, the light comes. And with light, darkness flees. Fear flees. That is Jesus. He's like a coming sunrise. The second imagery we have is Jesus will be our guide in darkness. If we need a guide out of darkness, it tells you, that tells you something about the darkness we're dealing with. We don't know the way out of it. We can't figure out the path out of darkness on our own. We need God to come down. We need Jesus to lead us out of this darkness. And here we are promised that Jesus will be our guide out of the shadow of death. Just imagine it's pitch black. You can't see anything. There's a real threat of death. Sin is trying to grab at you, to pull you back in, to stumble you. You don't know what to do. Yet, Jesus is firmly holding our hand. He is guiding us into the way of peace. We don't know where to go. But when we hold on to Jesus, we know that he will guide us into the way of peace. He is stronger than any threat. He is stronger than any sin, any darkness. He is stronger than death itself. He knows the way out, and he is firmly holding us by his hand, and he is guiding our feet. These are the images that we have of Jesus. And let's go back and think through the ministry of John once again. In verse 78, the Holy Spirit tells us that through the ministry of John, the ministry to expose sin, darkness, to call people to repentance of that sin, and then to point them to the coming of the Messiah, this ministry, this job of John's, We might imagine it as those crazy people on the corners of downtown screaming, repent. But this is, here's here's what God says it is. It is a tender mercy of our God. Have you ever considered that God's ability to expose our sin to expose darkness in the world, darkness in our lives, and call us to repentance? Have you considered that that is a tender mercy of God? It is a mercy because without the ministry of John, without someone proclaiming this, we would not know what sin is. We would not know what darkness is. We would not know that we need a savior. 
we might know that something is off. We might sense that something is wrong in the world. But without the clarity of John, without the clarity of God's word exposing our sin, we would not know exactly what is wrong. It is a mercy of God to show us our actual condition and then give us a way out through Jesus Christ. Today, we have the same need for clarity. We have a need to know what is darkness and what is light, what is righteous and what is evil. We have the same need. We have a need for people like John to expose the works of sin. And the ministry of John hasn't ended. After John, Jesus continued that ministry. He called people to repent. And he pointed to himself as the Savior. Then the apostles continued that ministry. They pointed to the finished work of Jesus. And they called people to Jesus. To trust Jesus. And the church today, the church has been commissioned with the same ministry to call the lost to call those in darkness into light. And the only way we can make people aware of darkness is by calling it for what it is. The only way to expose sin is by calling sin, sin. By calling the works of evil for what it is. And listen, darkness... It doesn't want to be exposed. Darkness hates to be exposed. John will actually die because someone did not like what John said. John went a little too far. Probably shouldn't have exposed that guy's sin. He killed him. And so... Even the church today has compromised with the world, has compromised with sin and darkness. Often we are afraid to call it for what it is. We have adopted cultural norms. Yeah, it is what it is. Just let's live in peace. In Isaiah 5, God is announcing a judgment against his people for the wicked things that they did. And one of those things that God judges them for, one of those things that God hates, is when people do the opposite of exposing sin. He hates it when people do, when God's people do the exact opposite of what John did. Isaiah 5.20 God says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and the light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and the sweet for bitter. This is, these are incredibly, incredibly strong words. Woe to those who call evil 
good. It is God's tender mercy when in the church and in the world there are people who have clarity of the times. There are people who have clarity of what is sin and what is righteousness, what is darkness and what is light, and they have the ability to declare and make it known to the people of God and to the world. It is a mercy of God. It is not mean. It is not hatred. It is not some sort of wrong. It is a mercy of God when the sins of the people are exposed by God. Because when we have this clarity, that is when we realize we need Jesus. That is when we realize we need a Savior. That is when we realize that Jesus is the greatest possession we could ever have. When you call evil good, you rob them of Christ. When you do not call them to repent from their darkness, you are robbing them of the tender mercies of Jesus. When we have this clarity, that is when we realize that we cannot overcome darkness on our own. We need a savior. We need a guide. We need a light in the darkness. We need him to forgive us. And without him, we are hopeless. We are in a season of Advent. It's a time when we look back, the first coming of Jesus, and we also look forward to the second coming of Christ with expectation. It's a season where we reevaluate ourselves, where we prepare our hearts, where we evaluate our priorities. And just like before the first coming, so it is today. As we wait for the coming of Jesus, we need the prophetic word of John. We need the clarity. We need to prepare our hearts for the coming of King Jesus. Often as Christians, we have this tendency to think that confession and repentance is for the world. I'm Christian. I, I'm, I'm already cool with Jesus. Why do I need to confess? Why do I need to repent? I don't have major sins. I don't have any darkness. I have a few flaws here and there. That's about it. That's about it. Don't worry about me. I can handle it. I've got this. We don't need to get Jesus involved. It's often our attitude with sin and darkness as Christians. A.W. Pink says, quote, It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from an empty professor. It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from an empty professor. 
Christian, are you grieving over your sin? Are you broken over the residual darkness of your heart? If you're not, maybe it is because you have called evil good. Maybe the darkness is so dark that you are not even aware of it. Listen, I understand exposure of darkness is not comfortable. We do not like it. Sometimes we run away from it. We don't like it especially when we have already justified our sin, we've called it good, and we are comfortable with it. But it is for our good. This clarity is necessary, and it is good to be of your sin, to be aware of your sin, to confess and repent from sin, to receive forgiveness of that sin from Jesus. It is the sweetest thing our soul can ever experience. To be aware of your sin, to confess and repent and then be forgiven from it, free. But you cannot be free from it until you are aware, until you confess, until you are broken and repentant over it. Forgiveness is here. Forgiveness is waiting. Jesus wants you to be free, not to walk in condemnation, not to walk in judgment and guilt and shame, but to walk in freedom. And if you want that, you have to be aware. You have to confess. You have to repent. You cannot be comfortable in it. We are not hopeless. In the midst of darkness, we are not hopeless. This is why Zechariah is celebrating. Mary is celebrating. This is why we as a church should celebrate and rejoice in the midst of darkness. Jesus took care of our sin. Listen, he took care of it. Why are we going to hide it? Why don't we just confess it? He already took care of it, church. Confess it and be forgiven. Church, I pray that we would not be a people who shy away from this clarity. Let's be a people who are quick to acknowledge our sin and repent of our sin to our spouses, to our friends, to our children, to our parents, to the world around us. Let's be quick to acknowledge. Let's be quick to confess and repent of our sin. Jesus can handle it. Jesus wants to handle it. He already dealt with it. Just give it to him. Church, let's build a culture where we don't pretend that we have it all together. We don't. I don't. Let's build a culture where we are honest about our need for Jesus. Where we are honest that we need repentance and forgiveness. Let's be a place 
where confession of sin flows free. Forgiveness flows free. Let's be a people who rejoice in the hope of Jesus. And Christian, hold on tight. Hold on tight to Jesus. He will guide you out of darkness. Even if you do not see anything, even if you have zero clarity, if you're afraid of stumbling and falling, you're afraid of death, you're afraid of sin, you're afraid of yourself, trust Jesus as your guide out of the darkness. You do not need to know the way out. He knows the way out. Trust Jesus. Child of God, as you hold on to Jesus, also wait for Jesus. The sun will rise. The sunrise is coming. It will rise to never set again on the people of God. Darkness will forever flee. Darkness in you, around you, it will flee to never come back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious song of Zechariah. We thank you that you did not leave us in darkness. You did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us in the shadow of death. Lord, but you came to rescue us from sin and death. You came and you have defeated death. You have took care of our sin. And we thank you for that. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who are quick to confess our sin. That we would not stuff it in the junk drawer of our heart, Lord. But that your Holy Spirit would come that he would convict and that he would bring us to Jesus, that he would bring us to a place where we are grieving and broken over our sin because that is where forgiveness and freedom is found. So Lord, I pray that we would be a church that models that to one another and to the world. I pray that we, Father, would not pretend that we have it all together. Lord, I pray that confession of sin would happen among your people, that healing may take place for our souls, the healing that comes from Christ. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would have clarity of what is darkness and what is light, that we as a church would not be confused, God, especially during these times. Lord, grant us clarity, God, of what is evil and what is righteous and help us be people who are a shining light on a hill in the midst of darkness. May we be a place of a refuge and of hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.